stories to bring us into wise concentration, this last fold along the Buddhist eightfold path. So the first story begins with a selection from the book Offerings at the Wall, a collection of some of the 90,000 letters and mementos that veterans and their loved ones have left at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in DC. So in 1989, a worn photograph of a young Vietnamese man and a little girl was placed at the wall, along with the following letter. Dear sir, for 22 years, I have carried your picture in my wallet. I was only 18 years old that day that we faced one another on the trail in Chu Lai, Vietnam. Why you did not take my life, I'll never know. Forgive me for taking your life. I was reacting just the way I was trained. So many times over the years, I've stared at your picture and your daughter. Each time my heart and guts would burn with the guilt, pain of guilt. I have two daughters of my own now. I perceive you as a brave soldier defending his homeland. Above all else, I can now respect the importance life held for you. I suppose that's why I'm able to be here today. It is time for me to continue the life process and release the pain and guilt. Forgive me, sir. The man who wrote the letter, Richard Luttrell, had faced the enormity of what it means to take a life and the reality of how important life is to each of us by letting go by letting himself feel the pain of his guilt by looking again and again at his own fearful reactive self at the person who'd been trained to kill richard has fa- had faced his own human frailty in acknowledging this and asking for forgiveness He was seeking to make amends and free his own heart. But Luttrell's journey to forgiveness had not ended with that poignant note. Through a fellow vet, the picture had made its way back to him. And upon receiving it, he made a decision. He was going to find the daughter in the picture and return the photo to her. Luttrell traveled to Vietnam, found her and her brother, and introduced himself through an interpreter. Tell her, this is the photo I took from her father's wallet the day I shot and killed him, and I'm returning it. With his voice breaking, he asked for her forgiveness. The young woman burst into tears and fell into Richard's arms, sobbing. Later, her brother explained that he and his sister believed that their father's spirit lived on in Richard, and that on that day, 
it had been returned to them. The story of forgiveness across time and oceans and generations has clues into the wisdom that arises from wise concentration. So this next story is new to me. It comes from a lecture I heard just Thursday night by the noted scholar Dr. Jennifer Eberhard. She's a psychologist doing research out of Stanford, and she won a MacArthur Genius Fellowship studying the mechanisms and effects of bias in our daily lives, particularly racial bias. She was in Tulsa as one expert on the Tulsa City Council's Equity Indicators public panel. That was on Wednesday night. And then the next evening, she presented her work from her 2016 book, Biased, Uncovering the Hidden Prejudice that Shapes What We See, Think, and Do. In brief, we're all biased. I trust this is not surprising news. But useful information for always considering our reactions to the world at any point in time. So from Dr. Eberhard's presentation Thursday, what caught my attention for wise concentration is her work with the Oakland Police Department. She creates ways to enable police officers out on the street to make skillful decisions and avoid unnecessary force. And she does this with police forces all around the country, New York City. Um, but in Oakland, she suggests a relatively low-tech but very effective way to disrupt how often the police officers are stopping people not involved in criminal activity, in serious criminal activity. Because they realize those stops aren't increasing the city's safety, they target people of color unfairly, and they take up precious police time. There are thousands of people who are stopped who end up having only minor traffic violations rather than some serious crime. And the department wants to try to cut down on those numbers. And this is the remarkably simple suggestion. A question. A one question was added to the form officers were required to fill out when performing a stop. Is this stop intelligence-led? Yes or no? So intelligence-led is, is become to be a technical term, but what it does is it pauses, making the policeman think about what's behind the decisions he or she is about to make, and makes space for wise concentration. Because after checking yes or no, there's a list of about 12 or 15 reasons for the stop, for the intelligence-led reason for the stop. Did you witness criminal activity? Did you see violence? 
furtive movement, which Dr. Eberhard talks about is really the most vague thing you could ever imagine. What's a furtive movement? Was that one? So there are about 10 reasons listed for the stop. And this simple yes or no question reduced the traffic stops by 40%. Because the questions briefly slowed down the thought process, allowing the officer's brain not to be simply reacting. It allows it to pass beyond that automatic bias. Given just a few extra seconds, given time to focus the mind, the police officer's response is often different than the original impulse. Again, as a reminder, we all have subconscious bias. SCADs of research shows it. But we default to our biases, biases when we're under pressure or afraid or triggered in some way. And all of the research that Dr. Eberhard showed us that night and the work she's been doing with fellow scientists always include this element of time. For example, in her studies, she's, she's often flashing an image on a screen and participants have a fraction of a second to make an instantaneous judgment and choose a course of action. In other words, to interrupt hidden and unconscious biases, creating systems to allow our wisdom time to override our unhelpful bias. It made me think of that ancient wisdom of counting to 10 before yelling at your child, hitting send with that nasty email or reaching for that addictive substance. Sometimes just counting to three is enough. Because that slowed down response creates spaciousness in the situation, allowing for a broader range of possible reactions. And you know, we're increasingly being asked to respond right now, right this second. Respond to emotionally charged words. Immediately respond to this text. Click on this social justice button. Take a stand. Everything's black and white right now. These become situations where our biases are responding for us, not our deeper, more thoughtful selves, the ones who can see that it's complicated and nuanced. But with determined practice, we can begin to look for ways to give our own reactions just enough openness to notice our hidden bias and not react as we always do. So returning to wise concentration, it's also translated as, as right tranquility. And I love how those two seemingly unrelated words mean the same thing. Focus and calm, concentration and tranquility. When we learn to concentrate or pay closer attention with ease, not straining, it brings tranquility. It's peaceful. It makes things clearer. 
So to concentrate our mind means to collect it, to have like a steady, one-pointed thing that we're paying attention to, like a, a, a candle flame in a windless place where it's steady and doesn't flicker much. Every religious tradition has concentration in its teachings. Every religious tradition. Every great spiritual or yogic tradition, whether it's like Hasidic prayers or Jesus prayers or mantras or even the shamans who do certain kinds of incantations or rites. Because our mind is like light energy. It can be focused in several ways. If you begin to concentrate, it can resemble a light laser instead of having it scattered in all these directions. The power of the mind becomes usable when it's concentrated. And you know, again, this is nothing new. I'm sure you've experienced those moments when you can focus your mind fully. It can be a pleasurable task and you lose track of time or an awful moment just as you were about to have a car wreck and everything seems to slow down so you can take it all in with super heightened sense of time and reality. Or when you're getting bad news and you listen very carefully, aware of the words, all the gestures, the air temperature, the light levels, the smallest detail in the room, So to be clear, wise concentration is, isn't about losing yourself or zoning out, losing touch with reality. That's a trance. But so often our mind is scattered and filled with thoughts, and mostly with that kind of mind at that moment, all you see is your ordinary reality. And ordinary reality is fine and good. It gets us from point A to point D, point B in our day, it's a very necessary thing. But right concentration helps you see there are other perspectives. <laughs> Some teachers describe focusing our mind as being similar to training a puppy. When we practice any kind of spiritual right or meditation that is designed to help us gather our thoughts. We bring our mind back to its focus gently over and over again, just as we would train a puppy. Rage and yelling only makes for a scared puppy. Berating ourselves for a scattered mind is similarly counterproductive but a clear, deliberate reminder to sit, stay, or whatever we've chosen as our focus, is the skillful development of wise concentration. So when the Buddha was teaching about this, he compared it to smelting gold. When unnecessary contaminants are removed, the gold becomes light, soft, malleable, pure, so when the Buddha is teaching about concentration, he's speaking specifically about terms. Uh, he's, spe he's speaking specifically. Uh, he's speaking specifically about it 
in terms of a meditation practice and has, describes these stages that when you're focused, the longer you focus, then you can find another level that's a whole different level of focus. And this happens with consistent practice. So our two stories illustrate different applications of wise concentration. That checklist on the Oakland police officer's notepad acts like a lens, helping focus thoughts by asking, why are you taking this action? And it improves instantaneous decisions, disrupting the possible warped view through a lens of hidden bias. And the outcome is gold. Fewer citizens hassled, and less time wasted. And the story of Richard Luttrell's letter has several instances of concentration. Luttrell had been carefully trained as a soldier to act as he did to kill an enemy soldier. And his mind is concentrated in a specific way. He makes a split second decision. But then Luttrell returns to the moment in the photograph That's when he's using wise concentration to create space for forgiveness. His wise tranquility over decades enables him to come up with a bold plan to return the photograph. It allows him to forgive himself. It enables the widow and family to forgive Luttrell. Reparations and healing become possible. So the outcome of Luttrell's saga is gold. I imagine Hope Church, and I, will have many opportunities in the coming months to practice wise concentration. This transition to your new interim minister, the Reverend Greg Stewart, is a chance to notice how your own mind handles change. You'll get to see what it wishes to cling to, what quick judgments it makes, and what right concentration does is offers a stillness. Not just a respite, but a way of entertaining the uncertainty of this new minister. Because in a world where impermanence and change are basic facts of life, the willingness to use wise concentration, right tranquility, pause and focus, will give you a big advantage. May it be so.